everybody, Jonathan Walsh here. Welcome to Don the Stat for round 15. Apologies, we're a little bit late kicking off tonight. I um, I got held up with work, so uh, thanks to anybody who's uh, had enough patience to wait the the five or six minutes whilst we got ourselves organised. Um, Hume, uh, Ian Hume, welcome once again, mate. How are things at your end? Oh, look good. Last week of term, so just building building up to that. I had my last class today and big excursion tomorrow, so hopefully the rain stays away when we're outside and that'll be a good way to finish the term. But uh, big shout-out to everyone who's managed to join us live tonight in the in the Twitter space. I know it's a difficult decision to pick between uh, ourselves and the top-of-the-table clash between Melbourne and Brisbane, but uh, you guys have clearly made the right choice there. Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, I mean, where would you rather be, right? Absolutely. So, obviously, you know, normally we, we do these reviews and we look at what we, we thought going into the, the previous week's game and given results, we tend to rush through it. But, you know, the, I think we're all still on a bit of a high from how good that Saints result was. And we're going to spend a fair bit of time sort of breaking that down, not only what we looked at before the game, but what, what we saw come out of that, some of the some of the strategies and the setups that the, the team uh that the team made use of and what that means going forward. So I guess let's get in, let's get into that Saints review by starting with our, our main points from last week. So the first one was about Max King. So we identified and, you know, it doesn't take, um, Blind Freddy can, can probably tell you that Max King is the main target going in the Saints forward line, but he's, he's overwhelmingly the number one targeted player in the AFL. And he, they go to him 38% of the time, uh, followed by Higgins and then Membry and, after selection, where that when then Reed was dropped, you know there was a lot of concern about how, you know, if they if they were occupied with Max King, how that would impact the ability of Membry or Marshall or, or Ryder to get off the chain there. But you know, it, it ended up working out. It was a bit of a gamble from Rutten, but it, it did pay off. Obviously, a lot of that has to do with what was being done up the field. Uh, but what were your thoughts there with regards to Max King and how we played him? Yeah, I, I think like a lot of people, I was surprised to see Reed dropped. I thought, you know, he hadn't set the world on fire, but it was a good development opportunity. And, and I thought this might have been another one for him to take on King. But I think one of the points that we did mention at the time was that we we felt that probably most people had overplayed how much game time Paddy Ryder might get and, and what impact their two Ruckman might have as a, a as that extra tall forward. And I think that ultimately played out as well. I think Ryder only played 68% of game time and most of that time was in the ruck. So they didn't really have an extended period of time where they had that key four or sorry, that third tall forward. And then I think, um, I think what was really important, obviously the midfield pressure, but Laverde and Ridley both won their first contests. Um, and that was something that I was, I was really keen to, keep an eye on was how they'd start and and both of them had pretty emphatic spoils in their first contest and I think that's always a good way to get underway and and get some confidence going and in the end King, Ryder and Marshall kicked three goals between them which was huge and um, and Membry you know he kicked 15 goals against us in in the nine games previously and it's the first time since 2018 we'd held him goalless so I think you know kudos to Jay Kelly there and uh, the, the risk of sounding like a little bit of I told you so. I think it proves that 
Kelly plays his best footy as that medium defender that can play taller rather than a medium defender that can play smaller. It was the, you know, memory was a really good matchup for him and he had a really good game on it. So, um, so yeah, I think it worked out really well, mate. Yeah. And I think the other point with that is when they, when they did switch memory back, you know, it would enable them to, to stop the rot and kept them in the game a little bit, but it was not something that was going to win them the game. And when, Every every time member would take a mark, they they be, they couldn't get it past you know their their forward fifty line because uh, they basically didn't have a target and Max King was able to be covered. So they were robbing Peter to pay Paul there. Obviously, when they went back at the start of the third quarter, they managed to get on top for for five ten minutes or so and, and kick those five goals. But you know they spent all their petrol tickets doing that. And at no stage then was I ever. I, I, I certainly was a little worried, but I I definitely thought we would be able to strike back and the the second half of that third quarter showed that. So moving on then, and the other Matt, the other key point that we, and players that we were looking at were their, their halfbacks in Jack Sinclair and Brad Hill. So both were high in terms of metres gain and both had big impacts on some of the Saints' big wins. So uh, after the game, when, when I was looking at the heat maps for Sinclair, I compared it to what he'd done against Geelong. And if you go look at the heat maps for Sinclair's game against Geelong, most of his possessions are in the middle of the ground no strike heading into that forward 50. Whereas against Essendon, we managed to corral him and, and hold him back. So most of his possessions were from the defensive 50. So even though they still, both of them still had quite high possession counts, most of them were in parts of the ground where they couldn't do a lot of damage. And it really, again, demonstrated how well our, our structures were to, to press them back there and also how big an impact that had on limiting St Kilda's ability to score. Yeah, he's, Sinclair's been such an important player for them this year. So that was a huge win for us. He was, I know I've said this before, I'm not a, a big one on the metres gain stat. I think it's a bit of a furphy, but for halfback flankers, I think it is quite relevant. So he was 100 metres down on his season average. Um, so five, uh, 549 down to 449. So that's a big win. Um, he normally kicks the ball a lot more than he handballs as well, but we were able to pressure him into handballing more often. So I think he's dis- he still had 31 disposals, so he's still got a fair bit of the footy. But, um, you know, whereas he normally has two kicks for each handball, he was almost one for one, 18 kicks, 13 handballs. And I think five of those 18 kicks were from kick-ins as well. So, you know, a good win there. He only had the one inside 50 and the two um, score involvements for the match, whereas he normally has, you know, nearly four inside 50s and five um, score inv- involvements per game. So, yeah, really good job predominantly by Matt Guelphie, who, importantly, not just limited Sinclair's impact on the game, but he also hit the scoreboard and kicked a couple of goals. Yeah, and that's the sort of role we've, we've been wanting him to play for a while. That that lockdown role hasn't always worked. And I think it's probably one of those things that Rutten was talking about in the Carl- in the aftermath of the Carlton game, where he was talking about how Doherty and, and Saad managed to get off the leash. And so that probably was a message to, to a player like Guelphie that he needed to tighten up a bit more. And he, and he showed that against Sinclair. And the final thing was about running and gunning. And we really picked a side to do that, obviously with the, the dropping of Reed and then picking the smaller, smaller, quicker players, you know, even, even bringing in someone like a Braden Ham, much maligned, but you know, it, it was picked for a specific role and purpose and, and a team style that they wanted to play. And we're going to go into that in a bit more detail. So we won't explore that just yet. But I think if you, if you look at what was noticeable, what really stood out, the first thing that really stood out, it's it sort of was happening in the Carlton game, but there was a real move against St Kilda to, you know, not not take the stand position and stay out of the, stay out of the man on the mark zone. 
not all not all the time as I think you're going to talk about but you know it was a distinct move to do that what's the advantage of doing that in as a as a team yeah I think the the biggest advantage is that you can move laterally can't you so if the opposition is going to use run from behind to you know handball receive to to move the ball forward then you can come off your line and and you're better positioned to to be able to stop that and and obviously that was something Doherty and, and Saad did really well the week before, even though that you know we were sort of flirting with a little bit, standing back a little bit more. Um, what I liked, because I know this has come up before, the Bulldogs are someone that uh, are a team that does it pretty much all the time, and and I don't think that's, um, I don't think that necessarily works. What I liked was that we um, we sort of we picked the right moments where to, where to do it. So I think there are as many examples where players pushed right up and took the mark so that they could close the space and then that forced the St Kilda player to have to get back off their mark and, and slow them down. Um, and, you know, so there is many examples of that, I thought, as there were of, of players that um, that stood back. So, yeah, and I think Ham, you mentioned, was one that probably did it besides the 50-metre penalty that he gave away for, for not getting back quick enough. Um, I, I think he's one that did it really, really effectively. Yeah, and then moving on to the next point, one of the things that we identified with St Kilda is they're really good at restricting opposition clearances. I think they were the third best in the competition at doing so prior to last week. And they actually started really well at that level. They started with a 9-1 clearance advantage, but by the end of the game, Essendon had clawed that back to break even at the clearances, which given St Kilda's record prior to that game was quite an excellent result. Yeah, it, it was. And I think also the other point there is that when we weren't winning clearance, we weren't allowing them to score from them. So our, our pressure through, you know, midfield and through stoppage was was really at high levels. So even though they were winning them, they weren't particularly effective. Yeah. So, I mean, like just talking a bit more generally, I mean, like just the teams, we brought it up before with, with the team selection. And, you know, I think one of the, thing, one of the things I think about is that we've been building for the last three or four weeks. So this obviously the Sydney game was was a real low point. You know, I don't think you could you could put in much worse performance there. And it seems like the coaches have really set about going back to basics with in, in terms of just looking for effort. So the, the Tigers game, the effort was much greater, and that that sort of flowed into the Port and the Carlton games. Particularly if you look at things like tackling numbers and pressure, and you know restricting opposition scores and. It seemed like the St Kilda game, they thought, right, we've, we've developed, gone to the point where we've got that effort level back. Now we can start, you know, putting more into attack. And the team selection really, really spoke to that. Yeah, I think that's a good point, isn't it? There's, there's been a lot of conversation in the media about how great our pressure was and, and that was a turning point for us. But I think that's been there for, and we've spoken about it, it's been there for three, the, the three weeks previous, um, you know, we're the number one tackling side over that period. So... I think I think that's been there. What we've really done, what we really did last week, was seemingly pick a team and also have a plan to counteract the opposition. I think that's been something we've been a little bit weak on. We've been really steadfast in just trying to do what we want to do um, and and almost ignoring the opposition. Um, so so yeah, there's some big changes there. I think there was a clear intent that this was a team or that that was a team that was picked to give us a lot more run and do more damage on the outside with McGrath, Ham and um, Massimo coming in for his debut. And, you know, what a big difference it makes having those 
um, you know, those guys behind the ball as well as Redmond and Hind and, and then coming out of the back line compared to what we saw when it was Kelly, Heppel, Stewart back there, Ridley, and it was really stagnant. So, yeah, Hind, McGrath, Redmond had a big impact in, in intercepting 9, 8 and 7 respectively. Kelly, it sort of seemed to free him up a little bit more, freed Ridley up a little bit more. I think Laverde um, was one of our leading inside 50 players, so he was still able to get up the ground and, and play with some confidence uh, so he had four inside 50s, Hind had four, Redmond had a couple as well. So, yeah, I think it, it just having those those sort of free-running players um, or more offensive players back there just seemed to free up the whole um, half-back or the whole back line of midfield. Um, I think that decisive and forward handball was back. That was a real feature when we played our best footy last year. And um, I think what was really good was even though St Kilda came back in um, in the third quarter, we um, we were really able to continue to play our offensive game, and we didn't shy away from it. So, um, so I thought that was really positive. Um, I thought there was much better coverage and handover from our defenders. So I think we've seen a lot of finger pointing from Essendon defenders and whose man is that or who should be on him, and that seemed to all disappear because there was just a, a lot more instinctive. Um, uh, you know, handover if someone came up at the contest to try and close down space, then the next move in the chain just seemed to happen instantaneously. Uh, and I think the ground, uh, on-ground communication looked a lot better. And I wonder whether, you know, McGrath is spoken about as being a pretty strong leader, whether that um, his influence down in the back line made a difference. Uh, the other thing that I really liked was when Membry did go behind the ball and players are loose down there, we sort of kicked it to him three or four times in a row. And then we shifted the, our ball use. So we sort of went into it. And, and it was our leaders that did it. Like if you if you do watch the replay, go and watch Dylan Shield a couple of times where he ran forward with the ball and then stopped. And I reckon in the past, we would have just seen guys blast the ball and keep making the same mistakes and hoping for a different outcome. But we really did slow our ball use down. We used the width of the ground, went side to side, spread their defenders and then went inside 50 and um, I think Peter Wright dropped a mark and then took one and kicked a goal. And then that was the end of of that player behind the ball once St. Kilda had worked out that we'd worked out how to counteract it. You know, they, they moved away from it. So I thought that was a real good sign of maturity. Um, I think how we use Stringer and our wingers seemed to create some change as well. Um, you know, there's, there's seem, I, teams follow the patterns that the Premier set, right? And I think, Last year, Melbourne had Brayshaw play as a winger who's a bigger body, can can come in as an extra at the context. And I think we were doing that with Durham and, and to a lesser extent, Heppel, by having them play on a wing. And I, rec- I think what was happening was when Stringer and or Perkins would go into the middle and then push forward, we'd saw Durham, who start on a wing, come in and play as an extra mid. And then we would roll our half forward up to play on a winger. So in the past where it's been sort of Snelling or, or last year at times Dylan Clark just come in and play as an extra mid, we were using our wingers to influence the contest and then moving our half forwards to um, to play more on the wing and, and sort of run both ways, which was uh, seems to be a bit of change in, in how we've structured up there. Um, and then... You know, it just it makes an obvious difference, doesn't it? Having Wright, Jones, and Stringer haul in the forward line, we haven't had that at all this year. So, you know, no wonder there's a bit more confidence going forward when you've got three genuine options down there, um, and then getting a real contribution from our second ruckman um, in the forward line. I think is, um, yeah, been a, an obvious win for us. 
Definitely. I think, you know, even just the fact that it means the defenders have to think about three or four different options instead of when we were simply seemed to be going to Peter Wright, you know, 90% of the time, you know, it, it, it just creates that opportunities for, for other players to get involved when that, when so many can be so dangerous. The other big, the other big talking point that came out particularly about how we structured up was how we structured up defensively. And it, it did appear to be that we were going a lot more man man on man, particularly particularly at the kickouts. And one of the things that we constantly talk about is the fact that we were very easily letting teams take the ball out from kickout and getting forward fifty entries from it. And it seemed that the man on man option really restricted St Kilda's ability to do that. But you you're at the game and you had a better view of the whole ground than what I did watching at home. And your your position is that it's not it wasn't totally man on man. There were still zone structures to it. So I guess my, my question to you is, you know, if, if they are going man on man at kickouts, but still want to play a zone, when's the, when's the tipping point when they, when the opposition has the ball that they switch from playing that man on man to moving towards more of a zone like structure? Yeah. I, I think there was, Definitely man-on-man matchups that we were trying to get. Um, you know, we spoke about Guelphy on um, on Sinclair earlier. I think the other one that we were really keen on, especially early, was Perkins on on Hill. So we had a couple there that we really wanted to make sure didn't get away from us, and and we we made sure that we had those matchups. I think that the first kick in we probably were almost predominantly man on man or, or mostly it, it actually looked like we we're a bit confused at that, at that first one. And if people put their, um, can remember back, that was the one where St Kilda went straight down long, straight from the kick in down the middle and, and memory took a mark. Um, and, and then they went forward and, and we, we were able to defend and I think, um, Ridley got caught one out maybe on King and got a spore was Ridley or Laverde. I now can't, can't completely remember. Um, and, and then we seem to adjust. I think that the risk in going full man on man is then you, you're completely reliant on getting every matchup right and not being caught out with things like, because, you know, instinctively, if you go man on man, it's, you know, pick up the guy who's closest to you, but you then run the risk of having a tall court on a small or a fast player on a slow player or, you know, someone without great body strength getting caught on someone who's stronger. So I, I still think we kept six players in the zone that, the first line of three, um, obviously one of those was the man on the mark, but then our two, um, I guess either side of that, we still sat them back and allowed them to take the short kick to the pocket if they wanted to. Uh, and that would have obviously allowed us to then squeeze across and, and force them down the line. So still very much a zone on that that front line. And then I think our, our two wingers were also in zone positions and because both of them set up pretty much on the 50-meter paint um, paint markings and again that meant that we were they were in position to to zone off if and and move to other parts of the ground if needed it also meant that we were allowing St Kilda to take a, a wide kick option again if we wanted to and, and I think Keppel at one stage I think it was their third kick in took an intercept mark because he was just in a position to take two steps and intercept the target um, so that definitely zone there, and then I think our de- deepest player was still in a zone as well, which is which was obvious, which is always a rolling position. It starts in the middle of the ground. Um, more often than not, for us, it's Laverde, and then he's able to come across based on the direction of the ball. And and again, their their second kick in, he was able to come across and um, and and win the ball back and, and get it going forward from us. So 
yeah, I still think there was there was something of a zone operating, but in the middle there was a bit more man on man, and I think it was probably so that we could get those those Sinclair and Hill matchups in particular right. And then on, I think in in general play, it was still very much a, a zone or a press. Um, you know, we still had that accountability for, as I mentioned, Sinclair and, per- and Hill. Um, but you know, throughout the game, we kept our press really high. You know, we saw our halfback flankers. Um, come right up often, which is why, you know, a number of them were involved in, in getting inside 50s. Um, and we still kept Laverde as our deepest um, sort of point in the zone more often than not. And, and he's really good at knowing when to come off his man. But I think what we did get better, which I mentioned earlier, was that that handover when someone did need to come up at the ball and, and making sure we weren't exposed behind was a lot better than what we've seen this year. So, yeah, I think my view having been at the game, but also um, watching the replay a couple of times over now um, is that it wasn't full man on man, uh, but there were definitely some adjustments to how we set up the ground compared to what we've seen in previous weeks. Yeah. And just, just you talking about it and describing again, sort of takes me back to the port game. I think there was a few times in that port game where we saw that similar setup where we were really trying to force them wide it didn't always work. I know Port got through and, and got to the forward 50, but it does sound like that they're continuing to refine it and it had much greater impact against the Saints. It always looks better when they can't get it out and, and it's working. But I guess you pointed out, you wanted to point out a couple of examples of where the forward press was, was working quite well. And I've recorded these, these clips from the game and I'll post these after the show. So if you're listening to this, you can find uh, Jono's uh, Twitter page and um the posts for this show and I'll have the clips beneath there that you can follow along as he's describing it. Yeah. It's always hard to, to reference um, bits of play when, uh, when you're doing it in a verbal format, but yeah, I think there are examples of where it was still a press and a zone rather than, um, than a, a genuine man on man. So our first goal is a really good one. So St. Kilda attempted to, you know, so if you're watching the replay and watching on TV, they tried to exit our 50 from the far side, the, the, you know, as you're watching it. Uh, and McGrath was loose down the line. So he's he's definitely in a zone position. He, he was responsible for Butler in a, I guess, direct opponent sense, but but he's definitely not on him. Butler's sort of closer to the corridor and, and Redman actually does a decent job of pushing up the ground to kind of give some coverage on him. And because McGrath was loose down the line, it slowed um, Gresham down. So he couldn't kick directly down to the line because we had a two-on-one. And then what McGrath did, which was really clever, was when Gresham bounced the ball and looked down, McGrath rushed up at him and closed that space and was able to to basically force Gresham to U-turn and force them to go come back across goal. So zone into a press um, allowed um, or, or forced St. Kilda to go into another direction. And then... Wright had a two-on-one, if you remember back. And the, the reason for that was because Jones had zoned off as well. So Jones was sitting in the corridor, which meant that, that Sinclair not only couldn't go down the line, he also couldn't come back inboard because Jones and also Redmond were blocking off that um, that exit, I guess, so to speak, as well. Heppel, who was the on the, the near side wing, was also um, in the corridor as well, defending that. So it's definitely a, a zone and a press happening there. Wright got the ball to ground. Jones then came um, out of his own position, came to the contest, won the ground ball and kicked the goal. So, yeah, a really good example of where the press um, instinct communication and and, um, and the team really working together um, created us a goal. And then the other one in the first quarter, um, and I've picked early ones here to save you having to 
trawl through the whole game for me to find them. Um, whereas Draper, this happens throughout the game, but Draper and or Phillips dropping off their ruckman to fill space in, in their forward 50 and, and provide help to our defenders. And a good example in the first quarter was one where Draper pushed back. So he just forgot Ryder um, or didn't forget him, but just, you know, ran off him, pushed deep, got in front of King to help, you know, Laverde and Ridley down there. And, Saints used Ryder and got the ball, but he couldn't kick it inside 50 because Draper was in such an effective spot. He ended up handballing to Crouch. We had Shield providing really good pressure on Crouch. And then Redmond came off his man and, and smothered and ended up winning a free. And we went down the other end and, and right marked and unfortunately kicked it behind. So, yeah, again, just another example of where we went you know, into a zonal system rather than man on man. So, yeah, I, I guess I was just hoping to... Um, provide a little bit of context of how, yes, th- some things changed in terms of how we set up the ground, but it wasn't just a full man-on-man approach. There was um, there was definitely bits of both going on. Yeah, and as I said, we'll have clips of that up on, on Twitter that you can, again, follow along and, and get a bit of a visual representation of what Jono was talking about. Before we move off the Saints game, one message that you sent me uh, during the game perked my attention uh, it's about one of our best players this year. Might be probably top five in the Crichton. It's, it's Nick Martin, and you know everyone's been really impressed with how he's come on. But you've got you've got something about how he's playing that he could potentially work on, and it's his, his defensive running and his defensive instincts. So he's one of the, obviously he's one of the players who puts in the most Ks during a game. But you know you, you said to me he's got some of the poorest defensive running that you've seen. Can you just go into what you mean by that? <laughs> Yeah, it's um, pretty damning, isn't it, when you say it like that? Um, yeah, don't get me wrong, mate. He's um, he's been incredible this year. You know what a great pickup, and it's he's a really exciting player, and, and he's going to play so much good footy for us. Um, I just don't think he's yet got into that instinctive defensive mindset. So I think often uh, he does cover a lot of ground, and he does work really, really hard. I think I, I would I would hazard a guess most of the K's that he clocks up when we've got the footy because Jizzy knows how to find space and um, and get the ball. But I just think he hasn't got to a point yet in his development where finding a man and and applying pressure when the opposition's coming out of our forward line has become instinctive because I just – I've noticed this throughout the year but um, really caught a good look of it um, last Friday night sitting at the top of, of Marvel Stadium uh, uh, just – yeah, a number of times where opposition players just ran right past him. So I think that's just where he can take his game to, to the next level. And, and I think, you know, one thing we can be pretty confident in is he's, he seems to be the kind of kid who learns pretty quickly and, and works really hard on his game. So I'm sure it'll be something that will improve, um, you know, over the course of the year. Yeah, I mean, as we have to keep in mind, he's only been in the AFL system for barely, barely six months. So, you know, some, some of the instinctive things that other players have built up, he's... He's not quite got yet, and you know more more sessions uh, with the coaches, and then obviously another preseason coming up. You know that's something that he definitely can work on, and was probably going to be one of his uh, KPIs for next year. But definitely. moving on to moving on to in the news, there was obviously some more good news for uh, Essendon's younger players. We've just spent uh, some time talking about our first rising star of the year, and we've received our second nomination with with Ben Hobbs coming to the side and, and looked really really at home, and you know he played a key role on Friday night against the Saints, picked up 22 disposals, playing that high half forward role, not not position he was drafted for, but 
judging by what the the coaches have been saying, you know, they're really looking to round out his game. I think they've they've probably seen that training, you know, his his skills on the inside. And given that we've got you know quite quite strong inside clearance midfielders at the center the center bounce, they're probably looking to round out his game and, and give him a bit more tools that he can make use of before you know putting him back in that role that he was drafted for. Yeah, um, Denergy and Syracuse was on AFL Nation in the lead up to to the game on Friday, and uh, like the media deuced footy fans who have a keen interest in what happens on the field, such a disservice a lot of the time. But he was actually asked a really good question about uh, how Ben Hobbs has been used. And, and lo and behold, there was a really good answer. And, um, and you know, it was, it was very much they wanted to play him at half forward because they know that he can be a good inside midfielder and he'll grow and develop into that. But they wanted him to, you know, to build his, build his engine, build his, his running capability and, and learn how to win the ball on the outside as well to, to broaden his game. And I think we've just seen him get better and better and better every week. And I think sometimes we get a little bit down on players being played out of position, but this is an example of where it's actually helping the development of a young player. And, and, you know, he could he could have played the last, you know, six, eight games or whatever in the VFL as, a, as an inside mid and done really well and racked it up. But he may not have... Uh, been able to improve and develop his game the way as playing at, at half forward in the in the senior side. I'd still like to see him get a little bit more centre bounce attendance, but yeah, he he had a super game, mate. And you know, he's tough, he's hard, he's composed, um, and he he just seems that he's getting better every week. Yeah, I just think he needs to get a bit of a, a left foot and a bit more a bit of practice with the left foot snaps uh, in the coming yep. weeks to you know gain give him a few more goal scoring opportunities. But I think if you sort of think about what happened with Parrish, you know, obviously we don't want it to take as long as it took for Parrish to get into the middle. But if you think about Parrish's best games last year, he had that forward craft uh, that he developed from playing so many games in the forward line. And that just added a whole extra dimension to his game when he finally did go into the midfield and started to dominate. Yep. Spot so, on. Yeah. So we're going to move off that. Talking on that game for half an hour, I think we could probably talk for a, a lot longer given how, how good it was. But we know we're moving on to tomorrow night and, and the West Coast. And Essendon and West Coast have such a storied rivalry. You've got a few uh, memories that you wanted to bring up uh, from previous West Coast games. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of famous ones, isn't there? Um, you know, Hessen and West Coast in 2022 aren't quite the team that they were back in the, the 90s and early parts of the 2000s. But... Um, yeah, obviously the famous tying down of the windsock. It was Sheedy with the, the jacket in in '93, um, and then the um, the Sheedy with Mitchell White and the, the slitting the throat gesture, which was um, which is a bit of a funny one as well. So um, yeah, uh, Herdy um, and his um, hug in the crowd after the the controversy with what he said about the umpires. Uh, Scotty Lucas kicked seven in the last quarter in Herdy and Sheedy's last game over in Perth. I've never been so hungover at the game of football in my <laughs> life. Um, I was in a shocking state. Um, and when I say shocking state, I don't mean Western Australia for any of our Perth friends out there. Um, yeah, so yeah, lots of um, yeah, lots of big moments against the Eagles, mate. Yeah, and even even last year's game was quite a quite a good game. Bit of a bit of a comeback from I think West Coast kicked nine goals straight at the start of the game and we were well behind at the start of the second half and we managed to run over run over the top of them there. And again, 
that's that's sort of they, I think they beat the Tigers next week, but then after that they weren't the same side. And we'll sort of get into what's happened to the Eagles over the last year. But we'll move on to selection and a couple of big names back in for Essendon this week. Kyle Langford uh, for his hundredth game as well, so congratulations to Kyle. And Will Snelling come back after extensive periods of time out with injury and having played in the BFL last week. And Nick Bryan is also in as out has gone. Andrew Phillips is being managed. We obviously lost Andrew McGrath to injury again, unfortunately. Uh, Brayden Ham, uh, I think we'll, everyone will agree, it's probably the obvious out for, for a Will Snelling type. And then Stewart, who was the sub uh, last week, has not been, has suffered an injury as well in the VFL, unfortunately, uh, when he was starting to put together some good form. Uh, what are your initial thoughts of the selections? Yeah, I, I'm just nervous on the Snelling one, given that he was on restricted minutes in the VFL last week. So um, I know he's on he was on the plane. I, I wonder whether um, he actually will take his, his spot or not. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know, but I, I'm nervous about that. I think the other thing that I'm, I'm a little bit nervous on about this week is that, you know, we picked that team that could really run and, and, and use the ball on the outside. We've lost McGrath, who was obviously really good at that. I know Ham has his knockers, but he is a really good runner. Um, he does a lot of unrewarded running. He's, he's really good at, um, at creating space for teammates. Uh, I know he missed a couple of kicks last week, but uh, I think, you know, the coaches, despite him being dropped, would have been pretty happy with with his um, with his game. Langford and Snelling aren't those kind of players. So McGrath played at halfback. We don't have a halfback that's come into the side. Does that mean Heppel's going to go back or will it be someone else? Um, and that throws out that balance again. And then Snelling typically, you know, he's typically plays half forward, pushing up into the midfield. What does that mean for Hobbs's game? Uh, yeah, I, I, I guess there's a little bit to play out there, but I'm, I'm a little bit nervous that we've lost some run and haven't really replaced it. But, um, but yeah, I guess we'll, you know, that'll get proven uh, tomorrow night. And then, you know, West Coast have, have obviously welcomed back a couple of really good players in Liam Ryan and Tim Kelly. Tim Kelly has had a really good season despite... Um, you know, how West Coast have been performing and, and Josh Roffin comes in as well. He's a sort of medium-sized defender who's, a, I guess, a, a like-for-like in style to, to Jerry McGovern, um, who's out, which is a big loss to them. Sheed's out as well, which is another big loss. And then um, Nelson dropped and, and Greg Clark, who's their many sub last week. So I guess, yeah, Eagles fans would probably be pulling their hair out a little bit that they start to get some good players back and then and then lose another two. Yeah, it's a bit similar to us in terms of, you know, we get Langford and Snelling back, but then McGrath's, McGrath's out there, you know, so you're not, you can't, you can't ever seem to get that, that best team, best, best 22 on the park. Although when does any side, even the Premiers ever get their best 22 on the park? But, you know, you want to start seeing that continuity. But I guess if we, yeah, if we go into what the Eagles have done, so they, they finished ninth on 10 wins last year. But if you look at what they did since, have done since round 14 last year, They've only won three of their last 22 games. So they've, they've defeated uh, Adelaide and St Kilda in 2021, and they surprisingly defeated Collingwood and started this year when they, I think they had all their uh, fill-in players from, from all the COVID and, and injury issues they were having. And only one of those wins has come at home as well. So they've been quite poor form. And if you go look into their, drill down into their stats, it, it's, it's pretty stark, some of the differences for them. So uh, the Eagles have always been a very high-marking side. Uh, so if you go back to their premiership year, they were averaging 100 marks a game. Last year, they were at 107. 
this year they're down to the 96. So it's not a it's not a huge drop, but again, a drop in one of their what they would consider to be their key stats. One of the biggest issues for them has been their inside 50s. They are down 10 inside 50s per game, and they're at the bottom of the competition with 39.4 a game. So, you know, when you can't get the ball inside your 50, you're not going to be winning too many games. They are up in tackles. They're not necessarily known as a high tackling side, but they are they are up tackles per game. But again, that could be a symptom of the fact that they're not controlling the ball as much and they're they're down in terms of their possession differential. So they're conceding uh, in terms of possession differential. So they were down 25 possessions a game last year, but they're down almost 50 possessions a game this year. And when you've got the ball that much less than your opponent, you're generally the only influence you're going to be having is, is through tackling. So that probably explains why their tackling numbers are up there. And then obviously there's there's the influence of the lack of Nick Nat. So uh, they've gone from plus 13 hitouts a game last year to minus 15. And unlike a side like the Bulldogs or Carlton, which are really good at sharking the opposition ruckmen, uh, they haven't been able to make up for the lack of ruck dominance with clearance di- differential. So they're actually down almost six clearances a game as versus their opponent, as opposed to being up uh, 1.3 clearances per game uh, last year. And that again, that's really shown the center clearances. So they had they were plus 2.5 center clearances per game last year against their opposition, and they're down the same amount uh, this year. And again, you know, it, you know, I'm, I'm just going. I'm, it's easy just to go roll through all the stats about why why they've dropped. You know, like contested marking. You know, they used to have a big advantage in terms of contested marking, and they're they're behind that this year. That they're, they're, they're not don't have that same uh, support there, but. You know, they've put in a couple of good performances in the last couple of weeks, particularly against Geelong last week. I think a lot of people would have been surprised with how close they pushed Geelong, uh, you know, pushing for top, aside pushing for top four. They were really good at controlling the ball for the first time in a while. They were, they were plus 10 on marks. Uh, and one of the other signs that was really good for them is they were getting, sort of described as getting the band back together. So of their top 10 possession getters from last year, in terms of disposal averages, they had nine out there. Uh, last week, uh, so Witherden was the only one who who was missing. So, and they matched them in the centre clearances. So there was a lot to like for West Coast in that loss, and it, it does suggest that they're going to put in an improved performance uh, than they have been this season against Essendon this week. You you've watched a bit of that that game. What did you notice from that, and, and get a sense of where the Eagles are at this year? Uh, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you've got. Essendon coming into this game after a big win last week and people going, well, was it a one-off? And then you've got West Coast who are a lot more competitive against a team who's in the top four and and people are asking the same question, you know, was it a one-off? I think where we can take some confidence is we've had three weeks leading into that where we were really, really good defensively and then we're able to get our offense right. West Coast in their previous couple of games, they, you know, they lost by six goals to the Crows, albeit over in Adelaide, but, you know, the Crows haven't been going all that well. And um, and then I think it, the game before that they lost by a hundred points against um, the Bulldogs against the Bulldogs at, at home. So so you know their, their form line, uh, you know at, at least suggests that last week was a one off, whereas ours, you know, if you dig a little bit deeper, but they've been getting some players back, haven't they? they they've got in the last couple of weeks they've got Sheed McGovern, albeit he's out this week. Um, well, actually, they're both out, aren't they? Um, Rioli and, and Yo back. And then Kennedy's been building some form after missing some games. And, and Darling's in some good touch again as well um, compared to what he was in earlier in the season and, and taking a lot more contested marks. 
They had Kelly out last week, but he's back in. So, um, so yeah, they, I, I guess they've, they've probably got a better side on the park despite having a couple of guys come out this week than what they've had earlier in the year, albeit so do we. So, um, yeah, I think the thing that's really interesting with them is, <coughs> pardon me, and, and haven't seen this before, is they're, num- they're third in the AFL for the number of marks, but 16th for kicks. So they are a bit of a kick mark side, which is why their mark numbers are, are so high, but <laughs> they actually don't get all that that many kicks either. So, um, so yeah, that's an interesting one. But they did a lot, a, a better job at scoring from clearances. They've been doing an okay job throughout the year of winning clearances, but not really scoring from them. Um, they've been getting outscored by 32 points a game at clearances before last week. Um, what they had been good at was um, converting center clearance wins in particular into inside 50s. They're, they're one of the better sides in the AFL. And against the Cats... They were able to do two things: a win more clearances, and then b convert them into scores when they did win them. Um, and yeah, four of their first five goals came from clearances, and that was a combination of both centre clearance and forward stoppage. Um, and you know, ironically, did that without Tim Kelly, who had been a bit of a shining light for them in the middle of the ground. So, um, so yeah, he he comes back into that midfield probably suggests they that they're going to give us a challenge in that area. And then I think the other area that they really improved last week um, was they were able to get a bit more of that forward press that we've been trying to implement happening. And and Geelong really struggled to get run and drive from their back half. So they really restricted Geelong to only being able to score from from clearance themselves or from when they were able to um, intercept or turn the ball over in their forward half. Um, They weren't able to get too much run. Yeah, and I think that's again we saw that last week. That was a big, a big thing for us in terms of getting scores, scores from the back half. So that's an interesting thing to watch out for. But you've also highlighted some of the the lesser known players uh, that you're you're you've taken an interest in, and, and maybe not be familiar, not as familiar to to Essendon fans uh, than you know they're, they're, they're big stars, they're premiership heroes. Who are the who are the players that you're interested in in looking at that may not be as high profile? Yeah, they've got a couple of young ruckmen um, that I think we shouldn't take too lightly. Bailey Williams has been playing some good footy. He's been around for a little while. He was their second pick back in 2018, but he's only played 18 games and nine of them have been this year. So it's one of those contests where you'd expect, and we'll touch on this a little bit later, but you'd expect Draper should be able to come out on top. But it's also one of those contests where sometimes Draper switches off. We've seen him in the past you know, not, you know, plays better games against the better Ruckman. Um, so it's going to be an interesting one for him. Um, and then Callum Jamison will be their second Ruckman. He's only, you know, 21 years old. He's 200 centimetres, but about 25 kilos. So he's quite lightly built. Um, uh, you know, he's been on their list for three years for, well, for just the seven games. So well, that's going to be a pretty interesting, if, you know, if Williams and, and Draper go head to head, you know, Brian's got a similar level of, similar age, similar level of experience, you know, that's going to be an interesting battle. If if Brian can get an advantage there potentially, then, you know, that gives us a, another win potentially. Yeah, absolutely. It is a bit of a, a like for like to an extent. Um, in, well, certainly in terms of sort of age profile and experience, um, Brian probably has him for, for body strength, I think. And, um, you know, sort of we've seen a little bit more of Brian this year being able to have a bit of an influence forward. Um, so, so, yeah, it'll be an interesting contest. Um, Connor West was their mid-season draft pick last year. So he's a 23-year-old and, and played 15 games. He's, he's uh, you know, developing quite nicely for him. He can win his own footy. 
Um, he averages, you know, a couple of two and a half clearances a game. He had a real breakout game against Melbourne about a month ago where he had 29 disposals, five clearances and seven tackles. So he's a really tough, hard at it, you know, not dissimilar to, you know, maybe a, a sort of a Stelling or a, or a Durham in, in terms of his competitiveness. So he's one to watch. Um, Brady Howe's a, a young sort of 19-year-old um, mid-forward who's a really good user of the ball. He was there. They're probably their shining light in that big loss to the Dogs a few weeks back. He had 23 disposals and 11 marks. So, yeah, really hard-running player um, who's got a bit of class about him. And, and Rhett Bazo's in for his second game. He's a, a local boy. was picked 37 in the draft last year. And he's 194 and can probably play at both ends. I think we're more than likely to see him play back um, as a defender this week. So, yeah, they've got some, some young kids that are, are coming through and starting to have a bit of an impact. Yeah, and so... Obviously, again, something to keep an eye out there. But moving on to our, our next next stage where we look at the match tactics, it's easy just to say, you know, just do what we did last week. But, you know, you've pointed out a few things that we need to really focus on in order to be successful against West Coast. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a few. I think a lot of this is is in a roundabout way a repeat of some of the things that we saw last week. But um, I think how we... It's important with Brian replacing Phillips that we don't lose the momentum that we were getting out of the two rucks. I think people that have been listening to us for a while will know that, um, you know, particularly myself, aren't, aren't necessarily a big fan of, of playing two ruckmans, but or two ruckmen. Um, but I think it's important over the last couple of weeks we've we found a real way to make it work, and Draper's been really good in particular going forward, and and Phillips is also been a bit of an outlet as well coming up at the ball. So Brian needs to come in and make sure that, that he's able to replace that. And, and Draper needs to, to make sure he maintains the rage uh, that he gets when he's playing, you know, last week against two really good quality Ruckman, for example. So I think that's a big watch for me. Um, the fast exits, you know, they were important last week. I think we, we need to look at moving merit back this week, given that we haven't bought in another halfback flanker, uh, the, the easiest thing to do would just be to put Heppel back there where he's played most of the season. But I think it's it's given us better balance back there and, and, and more creativity. So I'd like to see Merritt go back. Um, what it does do, though, is put some pressure on our... You know, they've got some really good creative small forwards. So I guess my next point is we need to, to be a, a real watch on them. Um, and the... The challenge that we've got this week with Liam Ryan, with Rioli, with Waterman, with Petrucelli, who have all got real speed, is that Liam Ryan's also so good at, uh, in the air and, and McGrath's a player who's really strong over overhead and putting Merritt back there doesn't necessarily solve that for us. So I think we need to get that Liam Ryan matchup right. I don't think Kelly's the answer. I'm not sure Hines the answer. I think it's probably going to be a big job for Mason Redman and, and ask him to to go and, and just beat Liam Ryan um, and, and then hope that the other small defenders can can go and cover the other guys. Um, but, yeah, get Merritt back there so we can really continue with that fast exit and drive the ball up the ground. I'd be sending Guelphie to Hearn this week. You touched on the fact that Witherden's probably their, their ball user that, that they haven't got back just yet, so he's still missing. So without him, you know, Witherden's... Um, I think number two for intercept marks for them. He's number one for meters gained. He's number one for rebound 50. Um, and he's well ahead of the next best. So without him there, Hearn is the obvious one that that um, uses his foot skills to give them really drive coming out of the back line. So I think 
Guelphie to him and, and lockdown on that just makes a lot of sense. And then I think we really need to to continue to evolve and, and push up high up the ground and, and really put pressure on that kick mark and, and create repeat entries. So, yeah, big watch on the two rucks, mate. Um, get Merritt back and continue that fast exit. Uh, Redmond to lock down on Lee and Ryan and Guelphie on Hearn and then just continue that forward press and really put pressure on them and, and force them into mistakes. Yeah, and I think the other thing that, that comes from that, particularly the merit back, which I also quite like the idea of getting that good user in the back line, is with the return of, of Snelling and, and Langford, this gives an opportunity for a, for a Hobbs who's been playing that half-forward role to, to roll up in, and sort of take some of Merritt's centre bounce. So Merritt's still, you know, he's not getting the most centre bounce clearances, but he's still right there in the centre bounce. It's probably, uh, I think he was, I think he had the highest centre bounce attendances last week. And so if you roll him back, you then give a, give a space for Hobbs, you know, to join, join Perkins and, and, and Stringer with more time now in the legs to play, to play more of that midfield role, which I think, you know, gives more credence to the, to the opportunity to put Merritt back, you know, whether he, he played a bit more behind the ball last week already after the after the center bounce so maybe playing off that half back line as that distributor especially as as you sort of pointed out if if Mason Redmond has to has to play more tightly on on Liam Ryan you don't want to lose that you don't want to lose that distribution ability especially again as you said the fact that West Coast was really good at locking um locking Geelong's ability to to take the ball out of defensive 50 so i think a lot of that sort of you know filling filling that McGrath McGrath hole you know, a lot of that can be can be done if you push Merritt back there. So, you know, interesting to see how it plays out. And I think you actually answered my, my final thought. I always ask you a question at the end of the end of the show. You know, a key question: Who steps up in the absence of McGrath? I think you answered it with with Redmond. Really needs to stand up on on a Liam Ryan. Yeah, I I mean that's my that's what I would do. Um, I. I think we might end up a little bit disappointed. I hope I hope I'm wrong in saying this, but I think they'll just put Heppel back and he he goes back to half back, which I think would be a, a bit of a mistake. We'll see how it plays out, but um, but yeah, I think Redmond's the one for me to. Uh, he's probably of our small defenders. He's the best um, over his head. I think he's going to have too. Liam Ryan's going to have too many tricks for Jake Kelly. Um, I think you know Jake Kelly's probably a good one to to go and beat a Jack Darling and try and lock down down on him and, and leave um and leave Laverde with Kennedy. So yeah, interesting to see how that one plays out, but but um yeah, I, I hope we continue to to go with um with Heppel on a wing and, and, and move Merritt back there. Well we'll have to see how it plays out tomorrow night. I think it's an eight ten start. It's almost you know, I think the match will be finishing past my bedtime, but I'll 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 stick it out, you know. Even if even if we are losing, I'll I'll, I'll stick it out. But hopefully, we're getting another win this week. Uh, big thanks to everyone who's who's listened, especially those of you who listened all through the live recording. We really appreciate the support. And yeah, I, I uh, we we post about the just the excellent reviews that we've been getting in a game. We're just we're just blown away. I, I won't keep saying it week after week, um, but yeah, we, we really appreciate all the support that we're getting and, and particularly the interaction uh, through Twitter. We know, we know Twitter has a bit of a, a bad reputation among some people, but the the interaction and the discussion that's been generated uh, has been really good and, and, and really, you know, add, adds a lot to our enjoyment of, of football this year. 
Yeah, absolutely, mate. It's it's been good fun, and it was nice to interact after a win for a change. So hopefully, we can uh, make it two from two for the first time this season, and um, and come back next week talking about another win. Fingers crossed. Go Dons. Go Dons.